Our grandson, Luke, is now 16 years old. And this last week, he went to the hospital for a food allergy challenge. You see, it goes back to when he was two years old. He was eating some chicken salad, and it had pecans in it. And suddenly his tongue began to swell, and his lips began to swell. Certainly scared us. He was taken to the doctor, and they did test. And what they discovered was he had severe allergies to, uh, to all nuts. I remember very well when we as a family had to sit down and talk about what does this mean? What does it mean to say that we now have to work very hard to make sure that there are no nuts in the house, that we don't make food that is contaminated with nuts? Wherever he goes, he carries an EpiPen for these last 14 years. We've had to work so very, very hard to try to keep him safe. But recently, he had some allergy tests done, and when he did, they found that the reactivity to almonds seemed to be down on a better level. And the doctor said, if you want to do a, a challenge test on almonds, we could do that. Now, our daughter Kelly has spent the last 14 years taking care of Luke and making so sure that whatever he puts in his mouth is safe. And now she was being asked, would you go to the grocery store and buy almond butter? And she said, that was so hard to do. In fact, she started thinking of lots of reasons why, you know, maybe this isn't a good time to do this. Maybe we ought to put this off and think about this some other time. But it was Luke who said to his mom, I have lived my whole life in fear. This could change my life. Wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to be afraid anymore? He went to the almond chest, the almond test. And what you do is you go in and you sit down there in the doctor's office, and they, they're going to first put a little bit on your lips to see if there's any reaction. And if there's no reaction, then they'll give you a little bit on a teaspoon, and then a little longer, a little more on the teaspoon. And this goes over a period of hours, taking a little bit, waiting to see, a little bit more, waiting to see, just to tell if you have some sort of a reaction. They had an ambulance standing by that if he went into anaphylactic shock, which is certainly a possibility, they'd be able to put him in an ambulance to drive him in through the emergency room and be able to be brought right in immediately. But he went through it and he had absolutely no reaction. It was an incredible day. A day for freeing him up. A day for changing things for the families. Almonds, at least, we're not allergic to. Now he has to eat almonds all the time to make sure he doesn't develop an allergic reaction to it. But it was a wonderful day, and we celebrated as a family this last week. But I've kept thinking all week long about what he said. I've lived my whole life in fear. I have a chance to change my life. Wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to be afraid? And I thought, we all tend to live our lives in fear now and then. So much for which to be anxious. We live our lives in fear, and yet we forget we have the opportunity to confront that fear and maybe we don't have to live and be afraid anymore. 
Today is Graduate Sunday, and it's been fun all day long watching different graduates at, at our different services. And I know that when you graduate, it's an exciting time, but it's also a time you get rather anxious. You can find yourself afraid. You're going out into the world. What am I going to do if I'm graduating from college? Or maybe I'm going out now to go get a job. Or maybe I'm going away from home and I'm going off to school. Or there's a real change that is happening. And it's a time for being anxious and maybe afraid. Especially because we have graduates, really, when you're going out into a whole different world right now. A world where technology is changing at a faster rate than ever before and it can make you feel very disoriented. Life five years from now is going to be very different from what life is today. Ten years from now it'll be very different. The rate of change has never been greater. We're sending them out into a world full of conspiracy theories. As a society we can't even agree on what we believe is fact or truth. You're going out and having to confront, what am I going to do for a living? Do I think I'll get married, not get married? How will I find a spouse? There is so much to confront. It's easy to feel overwhelmed and afraid. But what we are all called to is to lean into the future with faith. And remember, we define faith as trusting in God's constant love of us, His children. And if you and I are willing to confront the future, trusting in God's constant love of us, His children, then we can confront uncertainty and a future that's in a chaotic time and not be afraid. It's like our scripture lesson this morning that Rose was reading to us just a few moments ago. Psalm 46. I really encourage all graduates to memorize Psalm 46, verse 1, and half of verse 2. It's actually great for all of us to memorize. For Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear. What a great verse to be able to fall back on when you and I begin to feel anxious and afraid. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. The psalmist is going to go on and try to talk about what happens in the world, how the world can change. Mountains shake in the sea. How the seas roar and foam. It's supposed to be giving us an image. The world is coming apart. The very foundations are shaking. And yet you don't have to be afraid. The psalmist is saying, you don't have to be afraid, for God is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in times of trouble. This morning I want us to think about how you and I are leaning into the future unafraid. We're doing it by continuing on the sermon series with Amanda Gordon's poem, The Hill We Climb. I was really attracted to the poem. She gave this poem first on the inauguration day for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But I thought it was such a poem that really spoke to our moment in time and, and it had such values that I felt resonated with 
my understanding of the Christian faith. She's a 22-year-old lady, or she was when she wrote the poem, 22 years old, having just graduated from college. So as a graduate, she was now having to think about the world and her future. It's through that lens as she writes this poem. And she's thinking about all the challenges that she is going to face, especially as she defines herself in the poem. She calls herself a skinny little black girl. She's thinking, how do I, as a graduate, confront life? How do I, as a woman, confront the issues that will be out there for me to deal with? How will I confront them as a person of color? No, there is a hill to climb. And the poem is an affirmation of hope and strength and unity that we can do this together. She started writing the poem and she was making about a line a day. And then the insurrection happened. Our homegrown terrorists stormed the Capitol, breaking down windows, attacking police, storming the Capitol. It's something that I never believed that I would see in my lifetime, not in the greatest democracy in the world. It looked like a third world country. And as she watched it the next day, she sat down to write the poem and a day she finished the rest of it. There was so much that needed to be said. Well, as I said, I really believe when I heard it, I thought, you know, the thing she's saying, her values seem to be grounded in my faith as I would understand it. And it hit other people that way as well. And as I've been telling you the last couple of weeks, Amanda happens to be a person of great faith, very involved in her, her church out in L.A. But I want to read you what the National Catholic Reporter said about it. Amanda Gorman, a National Youth Poet Laureate, delivered a poem that was stunning in its energy and beauty. Her words spoke of healing and, like a sacrament, they affected what they signified. Gorman is a star, and her performance at the inaugural will be remembered for many years when her future artistic efforts capture our hearts again. She may not be Catholic, but I think of her now as an honorary Catholic. Oops. Yes, I've been telling you for weeks she's Catholic and all about her church and her faith. And this reporter didn't know it, and so... The next time that the reporter came out, there was an asterisk at the bottom that said, Editor's note, after publication of this column, NCR learned that Gorman is Catholic and a member of St. Bridget Church in Los Angeles. She doesn't need to be an honorary Catholic. She's been a Catholic all her life, a person truly of great faith. And it is her faith that informs the values that we hear in the hill that we climb. So what I want us to do today is continue on as we're looking at this poem and our faith and thinking about how you and I can lean into the future and not be afraid. Three things I want to say. Amanda writes, We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter, to ourselves. Graduates, there will be terrifying moments. There will be difficult times in life. Just ask those of us who've been around for a while and we can tell you life will have those most challenging and difficult of moments.
but within them you can find the power to write a new chapter about hope and laughter. We can do that because God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We can do this. We don't have to be afraid. We have the power to write a new chapter. And sometimes we forget that. When you become afraid, you start feeling trapped. You start feeling powerless, paralyzed. And we fail to realize we have the power to choose. What do we want the future to be? God can lead us into that future. You get to choose. You know, last week we had Socorro Delanda here. Socorro is an amazing lady. She has been in charge of Lydia Patterson Institute there, the school in El Paso, for decades. She is a force to be reckoned with, I tell you. She has energy and enthusiasm, and she has done so much at that school, and it has made such a difference in kids' lives. It's 7th through 12th grade. They come from El Paso, or they come from Juarez, right across the border. They have to come across the bridge, go through the checkpoint, they come to school, they may have walked several hours, turn around, walk all the way back home. And yet they do it because La Lydia, as they call it, is really that opportunity to learn and to have a future that's different. Many of them are on work-study projects because the family certainly cannot afford the tuition. And so they work for part of what they, they give in order for the, to be able to go to school. But Reverend Wendy Lambert went down to El Paso to go visit with Socorro and talk about St. Luke's involvement with Lydia Patterson. We've supported them now for years and years, but we've really increased our support of La Lydia, especially through this past pandemic when they needed so much help. But while she was down there with uh, Socorro, Socorro was telling her stories about the school and what happened. And one of the stories she told her was about a, a young man that came from a very difficult home. His uncle was in jail. They struggled in their family. They were very poor. And when he came to school there in seventh and eighth grade, he just, he was a real problem. Very disruptive in class, always speaking back at the teachers. He was just a problem. He was always sassy. And, and the teachers had gotten fed up with it because that's not the spirit at Lydia Patterson. Kids are there to learn. They want to be. And he just wasn't doing it. The final straw came one day when he's working in the cafeteria and, and someone had spilled something on the floor and the person said, would you clean that up? And he said, no, I didn't make the mess. I'm not going to clean up the mess. That was it. The activities director took him down to the principal, told the principal. The principal had had enough and said, I'm going to expel you. And so the two of them walked him down to Socorro. And they got to Socorro's office and the principal said, I'm just here and wanted to tell you that I'm going to expel him and I wanted to tell you first before we did. When Socorro said, could I talk to him alone for a moment? So the project activities director and the principal left and now Socorro sat there with this boy, just the two of them. And she just looked at him and she was praying. What will I say? What's the right thing to do? 
Finally, she said, if we expel you, where will you go? You gonna go be with your uncle in prison? What are gonna be your opportunities for the future? What does your future look like? Do you understand that what I decide in these next few moments is probably going to determine your future for the rest of your life? And then she just sat there praying. Finally, she said, I will give you one more chance. If I hear you talking in class and acting up, you're gone. If I hear you being disrespectful to any teacher, you're gone. If there is a mess and somebody asks you to clean it up, you say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and you clean it up. I hope you understand. She walking back to class and people were surprised to see him. She didn't hear anything more. Several days went by. Then a week had gone by. And so finally, Socorro went down to the teacher's lounge to see what people were saying. And when she came in the teacher's lounge, all the teachers suddenly said, what happened to this boy? He's not acting out. He's not speaking up. He's not interrupting. What happened? He would go on and he would graduate from Lydia Patterson, get a full-ride scholarship to college. He would graduate college with honors. He would come back to Lydia Patterson and be a teacher. He would teach for four years and he was a wonderful teacher and loved by the kids because he understood what they were going through. But at the end of four years, he went to Socorro and he said, I believe God is calling me into the ministry and I want to go to seminary. And so he went to seminary, became a minister, and then went out to go start a new Hispanic church that has done extremely well. Why? Because in that hour, he discovered that you have the power to write a new chapter of hope and laughter. Because God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble, we have the power to choose as we lean into this future, you are not captive or paralyzed. We do not have to be afraid. God will give you the strength and the power to choose. And so secondly, Amanda writes, So while we once asked how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe, now we assert how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? What an affirmation of faith. We wondered how could we survive disaster and now we think how could disaster possibly pull us down? God is our refuge and strength. Be still and know that I am God. That God is with us, the God of Jacob. It really is about coming to discover there will be hard moments in life. They're going to happen. Graduates, you're going to have tough moments, catastrophes.
If you don't believe it, just ask those of us who've been living for a while. We know catastrophes, disasters, they come. It's life. You will have them, but you can overcome them because God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. It's where you find the strength to deal with them. And I believe that in those moments, God will speak to you. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, if you are listening with your heart, that it's in those difficult moments that God comes. You know, I've been telling you every week uh, about Mary um, Landry, who is a, a, an amazing lady, the one whose mom told her there will always be tragedies, but there's more good out there if you look for it. I've been trying to tell you a story from her every week because I believe this concept is so important. There are so tra many tragedies and there are struggles and so much we hear on the news, but there is more good out there if we look for it. And so it was Mary who got on her mom's blue Subaru and decided she was going to travel to every state in the Union, all 50 states, and she did. She would drive 43,000 miles. She would take her over three years. She would stay in 154 strangers' homes, and everywhere she went, she sat to try to listen, is there more good? And what she found was in a nation that seems so divided, as you hear on the news, and we have riots and struggles and all these things, she found incredible good going on in this world that wasn't really determined by, by race or by religion or by politics. People of all divisions were doing good, blessing life. She tells about when she was there in, in Austin, Texas, and she was visiting with a teacher. And this teacher had a real problem. She was a middle school teacher, and she had some students who really were acting out. She had had to try to call them into line, and they really turned on her and began to threaten her. In the end, they graduated, went on to high school, but now in high school, they were still threatening her, and the threats were getting more intense and far more dangerous than ever before. She became very afraid, afraid of what was going on, and she lost her vision, her calling for teaching. She decided she needed to talk to the police to at least tell them what was happening, to see if they could help, or to at least know what was going on. And so she was at home, and she had called the police, and the police came, and she began to tell them about what the boys had been saying and what they were now doing, how she was going to quit teaching. And suddenly the officer said, you may not remember, but years ago you were my teacher. Really? And because of what was being said, her first question was, how did I treat you? And he said, you are the best teacher I ever had. You so inspired me. He took down all the notes and he left to go back to the office to file the paperwork. And when he walked out the door, she and her husband just sat there in silence and she was looking at her husband and saying, what are the chances that the officer who would come to my home would be a former student who would tell me I was the greatest teacher he ever had. 
with his encouragement, with the support of her husband, with the strength of her faith, she made the decision to answer her calling and to continue to teach. Because catastrophes happen, but how can we possibly let them overcome us? Because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear, even though the world shake. We don't have to be afraid. It is the promise that God will give you the strength in those moments you need it the most, so that you and I don't surrender to fear, but we lean into the future with hope. And third, Amanda writes, We will not march back to what was, but move forward to what shall be. I love that line. We shall move forward to what shall be. You know, as people of faith, you and I are called to be dreamers. We are the people who believe in a future. We are the people who believe it is God who leads us into a future. And it's an exciting time for graduates, but let me tell you, it's an exciting time for us all, regardless of your age. God is seeking to lead you into the future. And we can dream and find that calling to what shall be. We don't go back to the past in fear. We go forward into what shall be. You know, Haley Arsenault, she's 29 years old and she's about to make history. 29 years old, going to make history. It turns out she was born in Baton Rouge. She grew up in St. Francisville near there. When she was 10 years old, though, her left leg began to hurt. They took her to the doctor and she said, I was sitting in the doctor's office with my mom and dad when the doctor said, you have cancer. And she said, we all just lost it, all broke down sobbing. She said, I knew it was a death sentence because I had never known anyone with cancer to get better. Everyone I knew with cancer died. And she said, we just sobbed and sobbed, but the doctor said, I don't think this is a death sentence, but we need to send you to St. Jude's. And so she applied, she went, she was accepted, and the people at St. Jude's were wonderful. They took her in, they began to do their test. In the end, they did surgery, they removed her femur, they put in a prosthetic that would actually be able to expand and grow as she grew and the years went by. They wouldn't have to continue to keep doing surgeries. They did chemotherapy, they put together her regimen that would go on for a while. And she went through it all and she was such a brave person and she kept up her spirits. And because of the way they were working there at St. Jude, she was so overwhelmed and thought, I want to come back and work here one day. Well, she did beat cancer. It didn't come back. She was able to walk and do well. And so 29 years old, she now is a physician's assistant, a PA there at St. Jude's. She works in the oncology wing and there she works with children who have leukemia. And she's able to talk with them and say, I know where you are and I understand what goes on, but I want to tell you there's a future. I had cancer as a child. You have a future here. You need to still have your dreams. Well, she considered it her dream job and she loves it. But it was earlier this year that the administration, some members of the administration came to her and they said, Haley, 
would you like to go into space? You see, there's this guy, Jared Isaacman, and he is now 38 years old, and he created a company called Shift for Payments, and it's a credit card type company. It was brilliant what he dreamed up in his 20s, and he's now a billionaire at 38 years old. He loves to fly. He actually has never been in the military, but he's certified to fly military jets. And so what he decided to do is he decided he wanted to buy a ride on SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule. And so he has talked to Elon Musk, and now he has bought four seats on the Dragon Crew capsule that he's going to go fly in outer space. But what he wanted to do was to use this as great publicity because he's a man of great compassion, and he believes in St. Jude's. So he went to St. Jude's and said, you can have two of the seats for whoever you want to choose that you believe would help to lift up St. Jude's and help get publicity, and I want to help raise funds for St. Jude. And he said, to start it off, I'll give $100 million to St. Jude, and then let's go out and see if we can raise another $100 million. So that's what we're doing. Jared Isaacman is working really hard, and now they're inviting people, and the people came to, to Haley and said, you want to go into outer space? And she didn't hesitate. She said, yes. And they said, don't you think you ought to think about it for a while? Shouldn't you call somebody in your family and talk about it? Okay, I'll call my mom. She called her mom right there. Mom, they're inviting me to go into outer space. What do you think? Yes. She goes, I'm in. She was so excited. What an adventure. You know, she had hoped to actually go to all seven continents before she was 30 years old to have her passport stamped on all 30 continents. But now this year, in her 29th year, she's really busy training there at NASA and getting her space suit put on. But she really believes that maybe she can get a stamp in her passport from outer space. She's got her dreams. And so they're going to go. And this is going to be historic because there are so many firsts in what she's going to accomplish. When she goes, it'll be the first all-civilian crew ever to fly in space. She will become the youngest person ever to fly in space. She'll be the first person with a prosthetic to fly in space. She'll be the first cancer survivor to ever fly in space. And according to her, she will also be the first Cajun to fly in space. She is so excited about this opportunity and what they're going to wind up going and doing. The first thing she wants to do when she's out there, they're, they're not going to go to the space station because they're not astronauts. No, for three or four days, they're going to be flying 17,500 miles an hour, orbiting the Earth every 90 minutes for three or four days. But the first thing she wants to do when she gets out there is call her patients back at St. Jude to say, do you see? You don't have to be perfect to be able to go to the stars. Dream your dreams. She is a wonderful young lady of faith. And I loved sitting in an interview, Haley said, not everyone has had childhood cancer but everyone has had to overcome something. 
I'm overwhelmingly grateful for God's faithfulness and my wild journey. Graduates, you're going to have a wild journey. It's part of it. Great times and hard times. Catastrophes. Terrifying times. It's a part of life. But within those moments, you'll discover that you have the power to write a new chapter of hope and laughter. You will find that the catastrophes do not have to overwhelm you. You can still dream about what will be because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we shall not fear, though the earth change. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.